If you turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1, I'm not going to be long this morning. We just heard already some great content. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse... We're going to start in verse um, 10. Let's read this together. Luke chapter 1. I want to just talk about hope. I just want to talk about hope. Hope is a word that when we, um, when we think of the word hope, it's not a word that we hear a lot about because sometimes we think about the word faith. We think about the word joy. We think about the word love. We think about the love, the word um, uh, action words. But hope is kind of one of these words, I think, in the Christian language. We only hear about it around the holidays. You know, the hope of Jesus being born. And, but the truth is, the truth is, and I was actually going to preach on something totally different this morning. I was getting ready last night. I was kind of getting ready, and then the Lord started speaking to my heart something different. And you know how when the Lord moves in a different way? It's like, you better, I, I got to go with the roll. You got to roll with the Spirit, because if you don't, it's not going to be fresh. And you're going to be delivering stale, fast food. And so, um, Luke chapter 1, and I was thinking about this hope, and I just began to dig a little bit, and before I knew it, it was just really late, but Luke chapter 1, here we see the angel appearing, and he's saying to these um, shepherds that, and it's funny, because nobody is expecting the birth of Christ, even though the religious elite of the day know he's coming, right? They know the date, the time, Micah chapter 5, they know he's coming, they know who is who. It's in the stars. It's everywhere. God's God's several thousand year promo plan for the birth of Christ. That day comes and no one shows up. It's launch day and nobody shows up. Nobody's expecting Christ. What a big dis- disappointment! God God has to send the angels to some shepherds out in the fields that see what's going on. The angels are preaching to them, and that's the way it is. That's the way it is. And then they come, and so they, so the angels are saying to them, and he's also speaking here to, to, um, uh, to the people of God in chapter one and verse ten. Uh, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And don't let the words that we grew up with in Christianity be so mundane and so familiar. Like when I read that, it's like okay, I know a hundred Christmas songs that have that in there, but I want it to be fresh for the moment. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all, all people, all nations, all nations. For you, want, for you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And you will find him in a manger um, dressed in clothing that is clothing that we know is dedicated. Uh, that the person that the, the mother would wear to the day she dies. Jesus was born in death clothes. Everything about the birth of Christ signified his coming death. How can we find hope in that? How can we celebrate hope in all of that? And everything about the life of Christ was just systematically disappointment. It was disillusionment for the disciples at times. It was, it was correction. It was discouragement. And, and it ended in death. And guess what? The disciples had a concept of hope. That was not according to the plan of God. And this is just humanity. We get into these things about hope. We want to be optimistic. We live in the optimistic 
um, positive Texan culture. Hey, it's going to be great. You're doing a great job. My son and I were at the park the other day, and this would never happen in the Northeast, okay? Northeast. This would never happen in the Northeast for you guys that have lived in the Northeast. This is not going to happen. Caleb is climbing up the stairs and he's making his way. He's always going to go, he's always going to the stuff that's just older than him. He wants to he wants to do what the adults are doing. He's drinking out of our bottles and he won't drink out of his kids' bottle. And he just wants to do what everybody else is doing. And so all the kids are climbing up this massive, you know, this big, big uh, slide. And he's climbing up and he's just kind of doing it. And this little girl comes over and he's maybe about five or six years old. And she goes, you're really doing a great job. <laughs> I was like, I mean, for you, that may be sound normal, but like, the affirmation coming from another kid, I was like, that's, that's really something. And uh, we live in this positive culture where everybody wants to say something good, you know? Nobody wants to offend anybody. And if we offend somebody, you know, and then we're just we, over-apologetic. And, and we live in this culture, and, and we just, um, sometimes the prophetic wor- word of God may be actually not so encouraging to the flesh. <laughs> and so we see here, and I'm going to not talk about that this morning, but we see here a promise, and Tim Keller said something, and I listen to him from time to time, and he has some fresh stuff to say. And he said this: "We are utterly, we are utterly, unavoidably, irreducibly hope-based creatures. And what we think, and get this, okay? This is bigger than Tim Keller, by the way. And what we think about our future, what you think about your future, as as Rodney was saying, that prophetic future, that calling of God in your life." What we think about our future completely determines how we are experiencing our presence. Okay? Why is that important? Because we have youth today that are in their teens and in their, in their 20s, and they're looking for vision. They're looking for a vision that is so huge and so big that is so outside of their zone. They are looking for hope. Why? Because we live in such a predictable world, don't we? We live in a world that is so predictable. We have technology. We can find out information within seconds. We have access to things that, that, that we never had growing up. Why is this so important? Because youth and adults and older people are looking for hope. Hope, something that's bigger than them. Something that's bigger than their circumstances. Because why? We are people that are built. We are creatures that need that function on hope. We don't function without hope. And what is our hope here this morning? And I want to just talk about this briefly. Tolkien, I don't know if you know Tolkien, right? He wrote these words. And um, there's a guy in our church in Baltimore. And he was actually the, he was actually the artistic graph, graph, graphic designer for all of Tolkien's books. And he's in our, he, he, he designed all of David, I mean, Keith Green's um, album covers. And he's just such a humble guy. And Tolkien writes this about hope. He says this, Every person has a deep longing for a fantasy fiction of at least depicted in a good story these following things. Every one of us have this deep desire for something that is so fantastical, that is so supernatural, that we're dreaming about the following things. Because it's not in this natural life. Number one, step out of time. We want to step out of time, don't we? We don't want to be in this time frame. We want to step out of it. And, you know, we're looking, for, we're looking for this in Hollywood. We're looking for this in books. We're looking for this in science fiction. And we're chasing it. And we're looking for this fantastical thing that is built inside of us called hope. 
And it's more than that. We, we want to step out of time. We want to escape death. Right? All of, all of our supernatural superhero stories um, about, you know, the, the Transformers and, and, and the Avengers and all of these, you know, superheroes, Superman and, you know, like Batman back in my day, Batman wasn't so super. He was just, he could punch somebody, you know. But now Batman can fly, you know. Like, you know, and so to, to escape death. Here's another one. To love without separation. To love without parting. We hunger for that. We desire that. It's part of our built-in hope structure. Number four, commune with non-human. Something that's not human. I don't want to sound weird about that, but there's this desire built inside of us that we as human beings are more than just human. We desire for something supernatural. We desire, and this is where all these, this is where this craze about aliens is. This is where this craze about angelology and chasing angels in the book of Colossians. And then number five, to see, to, to, to see good ultimately triumph over evil. We desire to see that justice. And so this hope, this hope is structurally built inside of us. And you know, the, the powerful message of the gospel and the birth of Christ is not just moral and ethical teachings of Jesus. Okay? We can look at the Bible. If you grew up Catholic, you know what I'm talking about. That there's the moral, ethical teachings of Jesus. You've got to, be, to turn the other cheek. You've got to give your cloak. You've got to walk the extra mile. But you know, none of these ethical teachings are transformational. None of these teachings, and, I, I, and I'm not downing the words of Christ or the teachings of Christ. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that just to follow the ethical teaching of, of Jesus Christ only is not transformational. We need something more. What is that? It is that what Jesus has done, what he did 2,000 years ago, what he finished, what he completed. We look at his life of obedience, and when we see that, that, tra- that transforms our life. When we see a man that's being spat upon on the cross, when we see a baby that is, that is voluntarily born into an extremely vulnerable situation according to the plan of God, and that just is such a mystery to me. Like God, I mean, if you created this incredible universe and the incredible microbes and the most beautiful things of nature we can't even see with our naked eyes, and they just exist, and there's stuff that we still haven't seen, but yet exists by the wisdom of God, and yet God chooses that His Son would be born in a manger, okay? I mean, in a barn, which is just terribly not hygienic. There's just not sanitary, and it's just such a anticlimactic event where Jesus is born and it's just so vulnerable and and nobody knows he's there. And it's funny that I think even the devil didn't know where he was. Do you know why? Because Herod is like saying, tell us where he is so that we might go worship him. See, the devil doesn't know what God is doing. I think that sometimes we think that the devil knows everything that God is doing. He doesn't. He doesn't know your prayer life. He doesn't know what you're thinking. Why? Because when you and I function in the level of humility, when we're living in humility, we're off his radar. We just were in stealth mode. The blip on the radar disappeared. Where, where did he go? He just humbled himself. He just submitted himself to the Lord. He submitted himself to the grace of God. He submitted to who he was in Christ. He submitted to his victory, as Rodney was saying. And so we're not on the radar. So God humbled himself. He did not humble himself to be an angel, because that would have been great humility. If God humbled himself to be an angel and appear to man, that would have been great humility. But no, he went even further. He went down to the bottom of the barrel. He went to, to humble himself to be a human being. And I've said this before. 
But the humility of God is something that the devil cannot understand. It's like Chinese. It's like when God speaks humility and he's expressing humility in the, in the, in the timeline of, of mankind, the devil's like, what? what I, I, it's encrypted. I don't even understand what's going on. The devil never even thought coming that God would humble himself to be a baby. God's like, what, what, what just happened? Are you, you mean he humbled himself to be a baby? That's unbelievable. And that's the humility of God. And when God, when we humble ourselves, we are doing, we have, we, we are not on Satan's radar anymore. Remember when Saul was great in his own eyes? He was a target of a lot of demonic activity. You know, we live in our flesh, when we're functioning in our flesh, our pastor back home said it like this. He said, when you open up a Coke can on a hot summer day and you leave it out for a while, and there's no insects or bugs around. You leave it out there for about a half hour, 45 minutes, and what happens? You have all of these bees and bugs just flying around it. Why? Because they can smell in the air. These, ant, these, these bees can smell the sugar in the air, and they wind up flying around your Coke can, at least that's what it was in the Northeast. I don't know about down here. When we are functioning in the flesh, and we are not allowing people to check us in the flesh, and we're not... And we're not being, we're not allowing people to admonish us. We're, we're, we're not living in a place of just, hey, speak to me, challenge me. When, my, when I'm not allowing my wife to challenge me or my husband, I don't have a husband, but uh, what, <laughs> let's get that straight. And we're functioning in a place where I'm just not teachable. Guess what? I'm on the, I'm going to be a target of a lot of demonic activity. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Anyway, let's go back to hope. So the powerful message of the cross is not moral and ethical teachings because that doesn't transform anybody. It is what Jesus did. It's what Jesus did. It's Jesus came in the form of Romans chapter 8, verse 3, of sinful flesh. He came in the form of sinful flesh and paid for sin in the flesh and setting us free. And this is the powerful message of the gospel's hope. What Jesus has done, not what he said. Jesus is our hope. It's what he did for us. Because you know what? There'd be no hope. If Jesus came and said, look, that's what I need you to do. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And here's all the things that I need you to do. And actually, he did that. He gave the law to prove to mankind that we can't do it. And if he had done that, that's a program. I like programs. Give me a program. I'm in, man. Just be, I, I'm going to check up all the boxes. I'm gonna, I love task lists. And I'm going to do it. And so God did not give us a task list to do. He came and said, he said, this is who I am. And so, and, he, and this gives so much hope to know that we were... That, and this is the way my day begins every day. Romans chapter 11. Uh, I think it's verse either 29 or verse 32. Correct me. It says that God has concluded all in unbelief. So that, purpose clause in the Greek, he may have mercy on all. That's, my, that's how my day starts. God, I'm in total unbelief. <laughs> I, I did not, this, this salvation idea was not my idea. I cannot do this myself. And so have mercy upon me. And that's what quickens me. And that's what gives me hope. And this is this. Does that make sense? It's like when we start off at this place, we're like, God, you, you are in me. And I cannot do this myself. And so this is the powerful message that brings hope. That when we were without strength, when we were in sin, when we were dead in Ephesians chapter 2, we sang that song last week and we we're singing about, you know, the dead are made alive. I was thinking about this in Ephesians chapter 2. That... That we were dead in sin. We were just dead. Like we were just powerless to sin. And sin would come our way and we'd be like, yes, I have no choice there. But now we are quickened together. And this brings so much hope because our Christianity is Christ-based, Christ-centered. 
It's not self-centered. It is not, it is not another project that we've got to do. It's not another program to better ourselves. And so hope has three stages, and I want to wind up with this. Follow me here. This is really important right here. This is great. And this is what really stirred me up last night. I just sat for about an hour after I thought this through, and I just meditated on these things. It's so powerful. That there's three stages of hope in your life. And we see this in the life of Christ. Three stages. It's not stages to attain. This is the way it goes. Number one, the first stage is this. The big dream. The big idea. The big ideal. I remember as a young 22-year-old in Bible college, went to Bible school at the age of 18, just going to the prayer room, praying about missions, thinking about the mission field, thinking about dreaming with God, and just thought, man, I was just so on fire for God, and, and I just had this huge, big ideal that we're going to go and we're going to win the world for Christ. We're going to go to Poland and the whole nation's going to get saved. And we're going to do this for Christ. And there was such a huge dream. And I didn't know how it was going to all work. And this was the big dream. This was the idea. But it was an ideal. But was it wrong? No. That was God's mind. That was a vision. It was something that God had given. That's the ideal. We get married. Or we think about marriage. We got the ideal in our head. It's going to be love all the time. Man. It's just going to be romance 24-7. It's going to be awesome food. But, you know, it's just going to be great all the time. I mean... The weird concepts that we have, especially men, have of marriage. It's going to be like this nonstop. It's going to be great. The ideal, right? The ideal. This is the concept of big dream. And this is something that God puts in our heart. He gives us the big dream. How about a business? Okay, I got this dream for a business. I got this idea. I got this thing or a career, or like an educational track. And I'm going to go in this direction. And this is a big idea. This is God. And I got the, you know... And I got branded. I mean, we, I, how about a church plant? I got this dream. And I have this dream. And I got this dream. And, and this is what's going to happen. Big idea. What's the second thing? Then there's the experience of the real. These are just thoughts that God had given me. I didn't read these anywhere. And this is the big death. <laughs> the big death. The big crushing. I'm sorry. This is not such a hopeful message this morning. It's going to get better. There's the big death. There's the big crushing of the dream, okay? The personal experience. When we realize that I have a dream that's so supernatural, it is so perfect, it is so incredible, it is so supernatural, and I'm living in a world that is so fallen, that is so broken, that is, that is living under the laws of degradation and, and slow destruction. And you know something that could happen? We see this in the life of Joseph. Joseph had this big dream. He's like moving forward and then he winds up in a pit and he's sold to a group of Egyptians and he's on his way to Egypt. And he's in Egypt and he's in jail for 14 years and he gets out of jail. And when he gets out of jail, he's thinking, I've been crushed. I've been crushed. My dream was that I could be a blessing to my family and my family sells me. Okay? Big dream. Jesus comes, the disciples and this nation of Israel have this incredible dream. Here comes our Savior. Here comes our King, our political Savior. And guess what? This Savior is rejected. He is mocked. And then he's killed. He's murdered. The big death. The big... And so this is what's happening. Jesus is talking throughout his whole ministry. Hey, guys, this is great. I'm doing these miracles, but I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be handed over unjustly. And, you know, this is what happens. That God gives a vision. God gives a dream. And then it has to go through death. It has to be killed. It has to be. We have to go through this time where people are walking away. 
How can you walk away from my dream? This is so awesome. This is so exciting. And I thought you were on board. And okay, and then crickets, they're gone. God has to do that. We have to sit in jail 14 years. We have to experience this death. Unless a corner of wheat goes into the ground and dies. But it says all this, also it says this, abides alone. It has to abide alone. There has to be that, there has to be that loneliness. And I'm sorry, guys, but this is going to get, I'm going to get good. We're going to get better here. But we go through this time of death. There's the big death. There's the big deal. There's the big death. And there's what? The great deliverance. There's the great deliverance. When we become obedient to that death, we become obedient to that. You know, I've talked to some of you in the last few weeks, and you've had some pretty discouraging stuff happen. I've had too. As a matter of fact, this has been a really hard year for my wife and I. Very hard. And I haven't said this, but this has been one of the hardest years that we've ever had, just in, in, in many ways. And, and just this month of December, man, we just are just coming right out of it. We're just coming out of it, and we're experiencing the big deliverance right now. But this has been a very challenging year, year and a half for us. And if you've just come into the church in the last year and a half, I'm not talking about you. But it's been a, not a very easy year for us. And it's been a time of death, and it's been a time of burial. And you know something? After the concept of the big deal, the big idea, then there's that big crushing. There's that big, there's that big disappointment. There's that disillusionment. And at that moment, we can question ourselves. And this usually happens in people in the age of their 30s. And they're like, you know what? I thought it was going to be different. I thought it was going to be great. And I thought the church was going to love me. I thought I was going to be welcome. I thought, and then we hit, you know, between the mid-30s and then we hit 40, we usually hit, we usually hit a wall. And it really hurts. We're, we're betrayed. I don't know what it is, but just something happens to us. And you know what it is? It's a moment where we can interpret things from the mind of God, from the perspective of God, and we can think with God. And Jesus says, I must go and die I must go and die. What? What are you talking about, Jesus? Our hopes and our dreams in you. We forsook our careers. We forsook our families. Some of us, you know, our wives aren't talking to us anymore because we forsook you. We're following you. And we've left all and we're following you. And now you're going to say this is the end of the program. You're going to die? What disappointment. What an what a anticlimactic event. Jesus said, and this is why it says that they forgot that Jesus said this. Why? Because disappointment, disillusionment does not compute in our minds. We can't process it. Actually, we don't even understand it. We can't even hear it. When someone says, oh, uh, when, we, you know, when you're younger, you're thinking, oh, okay, well, they're adults, and you know, they're just kind of pessimistic anyway, and that's the way they think, and et cetera, et cetera. We don't hear it. And then Jesus says, I must die, but after, after three days, I'll rise again. Jesus says that so many times that they don't get it. Why? Because, because we can't comprehend that death. And then there's the miracle. The unimaginable deliverance where the Holy Spirit quickens the body of Christ in that tomb and he rises from the dead. The first time that anything, anything like that historically ever happens. And this is what I want to talk about, the hope. When we talk about Christmas hope, Yes, the baby was born. That's really cute. He's in the manger. There's a swaddling clothes. There's like little animals. And it's very cute. But you know what the hope of our Christianity is in Christmas time? Is that this amazing baby that was miraculously born is heading to the cross. And he's going to, everything about Christ is going to be rejected. And guess what? We are going to reject him. If Jesus was alive today in Houston, we would probably be part of the bandwagon that would be saying crucify him. I know it. 
It wouldn't change because that's the way humanity is. And there's this miracle when we are beating unto death. There's, and guess what? When we are in that time of death and you feel like you're being buried, when you think that you're feeling like Rebecca was saying earlier, you're feeling these physical feelings and you're just walking by faith and you're walking in your victory, you're walking in the promises of God. And there's that moment where you just don't know, is this going to be, is this going to change? And the Holy Spirit comes into the scene in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And this is where the theology of resurrection becomes a practical life decision. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that the same spirit, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, right, is indwelling in you and shall and will without question quicken your mortal bodies and will lead you out. And you know something? This is this is the this is the miracle. This is like when we are in trouble, when we are struggling. I think a lot of times when people have hard times, they withdraw. We just naturally want to withdraw. We want to just say, I, I don't have it. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I just know some folks right now that are struggling, and they just want to withdraw. Don't withdraw. Draw near. Get quickened together in the body of Christ, and the Spirit of Him shall also quicken your mortal bodies to the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. In closing, here, this is what hope means for us: is that hope lights the candle of faith. Hope lights the candle of faith. It means that our candle of faith is really cool, but if we don't have a hope that goes beyond our circumstance, we're going to have a candle that's not lit. Hope tells me that you can kill love, you can betray love, you can betray Christ, you can kill it, kill it, kill it, you can crucify it, you can crucify it, and it's going to happen in your life. You're going to have a big dream, we have a big dream, and it's gonna, and God's gonna allow that to be killed. Why? Because He's stripping us. He's stripping the dream. He's stripping the flesh from the dream. I don't know if that makes sense. He's telling you, yeah, I'm gonna be the king of Israel. I'm gonna be the king of the nations. I'm gonna be ruling a thousand years. But guess what? I have to die. I have to disappoint you. You know why? Because your hope is in a physical body. Your hope is in this king. Your hope is in this career. Your hope is in this fictional idea of a fantastical idea of you being something or doing something actually even for God that has to die that has to be crucified people have to walk away Jesus has to be on the cross he has to be why does God do that why because we are living we're living in such a small concept of what God wants to do we have these great ideas but it's just so mixed with our own imagination God's like your imagination and the way you're trying to picture all of this is holding me back it's limiting me and I need, to, I need you to understand that you can't even comprehend what I want to do in your life. I, you can't even comprehend what I want to do in your family. You can't even comprehend because it has not entered into the mind of man. Neither has it, has it even been imaginable what God will do, what God wants to do for them that are responding to his first love in their life. I just want to say, if you're in that kind of a situation, we're just facing discouragement, you're facing disappointment. You're facing disillusionment. And you want to walk away? I talked to a brother last night. We were at a Christmas party with some other pastors that are planting churches downtown. And he said, he said one of my main guys just, just walked away. He said, they didn't even believe in God anymore. I said, brother, I said, God's stripping away things because he wants to bring in something just so much bigger. He wants to bring something so much more amazing. And you know something, maybe you've had a dream in it for an organization. Maybe you've had a dream for your life.
Maybe you've had decades of setbacks. I don't know. I'm not here to say your, 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 your breakthrough is coming. God can only say that. What I am saying is, is that we have a hope in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, that is eternal. That cannot be, that cannot be taken away by circumstances. And when we look at Christ, you know what that hope is? It's Christ. It's a person. I'm going to finish with that. All of our theology needs to go back and point to a person, and that is Jesus Christ. Because as soon as we take the person out of our theology, we get a dead creed. <laughs> and we're just sitting in a beautiful box. We're sitting in a beautiful building. But it's deader than dead. You know what I'm talking about? But when we have a theology in Christ at the center of that theology, and, and Jesus says in, Roman, in, in John chapter 11, verse uh, John chapter 11, Lazarus is dead. Everybody's lost their hope. Jesus, you're late. You're not on time. You, you failed our human expectations for our schedules. You were supposed to come in at this date because he was going to die. And now, Jesus, you're limited. Now you can't do anything because he died. Death is inevitable. And you can't do anything, Jesus, about it. Oh, yeah, we know he's going to rise in the last day according to the eschatology that you've taught us about. But, but he's dead. Sorry, Jesus, but we still love you. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? I am the resurrection and the life. You're looking at the resurrection. You're looking at the life. You're looking at the healing. You're looking at the hope. You're looking at the breakthroughs. You're looking at the man who is like Jeremiah, is walking through death and destruction and discouragement. And yet there's something that's burning inside of his heart that is the word of God. That's the word of hope. And let us just, this Christmas season, I know we're going to face stuff, but let's just walk through it, looking at our hope. That's undeniable. That's Jesus. And you know what? If God's killing it, just let it die, man. Just let it die. Because as soon as it's dead, God's going to resurrect something that's just so out of your... I wouldn't, you know, our, our adoption story is just... And I'm not going to... That's just... That's a story for us, right? I mean, we couldn't have kids. And you go through all of that. You're just wondering what, you know, is it... Am, am I being chastised? Did I do something wrong? Or, you know, you ask all these weird questions. And yet God brings in a kid into your life. And you're just like, we look at him and we're like, like how did this happen? <laughs> how did this happen? This is such a miracle. Why? Because there's got to be great death. And then there can be great life, great resurrection, and great power. Amen? Yeah, amen? Okay, God, we just thank you for the hope of the resurrection. And that hope is not that one day we're going to be resurrected in Christ. But um, we're going to be quickened this moment by the Holy Spirit to think with God in our circumstances. Lord, maybe we are uh, in that place of a great ideal and then we're surprised by the disappointments. Um, Or that we would keep our eyes on Christ because he passed through death. Because you can kill the dream, you can cut down the tree, but that, as it says in Job 14, that there's the hope of the tree that with some sun and some rain It'll grow back. And so, God, we have this hope today. Our hope is undeniable. It's unkillable. And, Lord, maybe things fall apart. Maybe it doesn't work out the way we want. Maybe people walk away. Maybe we experience that betrayal. But that has to happen because God has to show that people, it's not based on people. It's not based on our ability to have faith, but it's based on the faithfulness of God. Father, we thank you. Bless our Bless our afternoon. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.